Welcome to the Geek Sweat Podcast. We watch films to save you the hassle. It's another podcast with a filmmaking twist, just for you. I am Trevor Jones, and we will bring you hot topics in the film industry, inspiration interviews with IMDb-listed filmmakers, review sweat on online series as they stream, trailer talk on upcoming feature films, and cult TV perspectives on classic shows worth revisiting. Sharing the frame with me today are Akosh. Hi, guys. King Dom. Hey. Our comptroller, Giovanni. Yo. And... It's Stephen Cole, 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 between your ears and our voices, we take this opportunity to make the most of our podcast technology. Recorded on Blue Ice microphones, Focusrite Claret 8 Pre-X output, sound mixed in Audacity software, projecting on Optona Full HD and computerized, if that's a word, by Toshiba. We are now recording live and direct from Ithaca House. That's the beauty about doing this at Ithaca House. The podcasts keep getting older, but we stay the same age. Was that a reference to what? Dazed and confused. <laughs> Is that a reference to Ithaca? What the actual legendary Ithaca? Well, I was trying to think. I was trying to think. Um, I was. Tr- I was thinking about the Dazed and Confused reference where you know Matthew McConaughey says that's the beauty about being um, a senior at school or something like that. We stay this, I stay this, I, the girls keep getting younger, but I stay the same age or something. Okay, okay then. Okay, so, <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, let's get back to the facts. So, Stephen, we're on to Doctor Three. Yeah, right, well, so. if you remember, if, if we start on the fictional side of it first, at the end of the second Doctor's um, era, he was um, arrested by his um, fellow Time Lords. And placed on trial in Gallifrey. Doctor and he who? Was the second Doctor. Who was played by? Patrick Troughton. Cool. Okay, so at the, at the end of his last adventure, the War Games, he, he, the finally, we finally find out where the Doctor's from. He's from a planet called Gallifrey. Actually, we don't find out it's called Gallifrey in that story. But we find out they're Time Lords, and they mm. put him on trial, and they sentence him to exile on Earth. Can I say something? Yeah. Is War Games like the equivalent of... Is that Doctor Who's equivalent of Infinity War? I've absolutely no idea because I've never seen Infinity War. Okay, moving swiftly on. I don't really know on. what happened in it either, apart from a lot of people died, I hear. <laughs> Do a lot of people die in <laughs> Doctor Who's War Games? Um, ooh, like I key don't know. characters. It's, it's quite, well, the plot, if you want me to go into that, the plot line of the story is that there's these aliens called the Warlords and they're nicking different armies from different periods of Earth's history and then um, kind of pitching them together on this planet to find the strongest to, to win. It's kind of a dumb plan, That's, but anyway. That kind of sounds closer to uh, World War Hulk, but I'll let you go on. Okay, so and, but then at the end of this story, um, the Doctor ends up back on Gallifrey, and at the end of the story, he's um, exiled to Earth, and he has to change his appearance, so he has to regenerate again. Um, it's kind of sad at the end of that episode in that his companions at the time, Zoe and Jamie, after the Doctor is exiled, they're sent back to where they came from with only the memory of their first adventure with the Doctor and everything else is wiped from their mind. 
Which Isn't always... that like a trope <laughs> that recurs throughout the show? It, it can't, yeah, yeah. I think that's the first time it happens and it's quite, quite sad, really. Anyway, so we're now on John Pertwee. So the reason that they've exiled him to Earth, and this is in the real world, is because it's, it's a budget thing. They're trying to save a bit of money. And if we uh, kind of got the adventures on Earth, then, you know, there's no alien planets to create. You know, there's very few alien costumes. They can keep the money down. And the person they get to play the third Doctor is um, John Pertwee, um, born 1919 in Chelsea. As a student, he was um, expelled numerous times, from, uh, including from RADA. He spent World War II in the Navy, ending up in naval intelligence, where he worked with Ian Fleming and reported to Winston Churchill. In fact, it's very likely he was one of the inspirations for James Bond, as well as um, Q. Um, he, um, the things he did was in the war was kind of like he made gadgets like pipes, like smoking pipes that could fire bullets. Um, he gave lessons in escopology. Um, it was all very round. Um, Why do you guy. think he was like one of the inspirations by okay, for the James he Bond? He was doing the sort of things that James Bond actually does. So he was literally on those missions. Yeah, and he worked with Ian Fleming. So Ian Fleming was his um, best bud. Well, I don't know best bad, but they worked alongside. He worked alongside him in naval intelligence, and so um, after the war, he became well. This is the thing he became well known as a comedy actor. He has, um, if you know John Pertwee, he's got quite a rubbery face. He's kind of he can do the whole cross eyed gurning eyes thing. So he, he was, and he did funny voices. So he was, um, he was a he was a comedy actor. That may, that may explain the bad one-liners in the James Bond films, then. OK, maybe. But when he got offered the role of the Doctor, he didn't know how to play it. And as such, he, he played him absolutely straight. I was going to say that, Stephen. Yeah, yeah I was, that was the observation I was going to make. Of all the Doctors, he's actually the he's straightest. He's the straightest. In fact, there was an essay written in the 90s um, by Paul Cornell, who has written a couple of the new series stories. And the essay's title was The Third Doctor is a Tory. <laughs> well, um, I think he, so, if he was a Tory, he'd be one of the ones that you'd be sort of okay with. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's a Tory, but he does. He likes to hang out in gentlemen's clubs. Not that we he, have any he, political <laughs> bias in this show. <laughs> he, he calls people like um, he's, you know, he's got friends called Tubby, you know, and people at clubs he goes to. He's, he's a very establishment figure. No, um, very serious. He's the third Doctor. Um, he's more. He's he's the most action orientated Doctor. He's got his own. He's got a yellow car called um, called Bessie, which is a, a canary roadster, which can which he um, he tampered with, and now it can go like I don't know, two hundred miles an hour, three hundred. It can zoom around, and you don't need to wear um, seatbelts in it. So I mean, yeah. But anyway, in his so John Pertwee takes over in nineteen seventy. This is the first Doctor Who season to be made in colour. Um, it's all set on Earth, and this. Brought up many a few problems because when you've only got Doctor Who stories set on Earth, you can only really have either kind of alien invasion type stories or a mad professor on Earth type stories. But they try to kind of find a third way in the second story. Did Doctor Who being presented in colour create any problems? Did that remove any artifice or did it add to the layers of Doctor Who? Um, I don't think it had any problems. I'm not sure about in production terms. Mm. Um, the first, actually, John Pertwee story is the first um, story. It's the only Doctor Who story ever to be recorded just on film. Okay. It's got, and it looks beautiful. 
Um, is that because of location shooting? Because yeah, I know they, they did they, location they, they shooting on the, 16 mil, is it? Yeah, and then yeah, they, they would use a video it, camera for the studio. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And so, and John Perry's first season is very kind of, it's a very um, subdued kind of, almost an adult program. It's kind of, his companion isn't kind of a, a ditzy teenager. It's actually a scientist. She's, she's, she's a doctor herself. And so they go off and they investigate um, different things that are happening. It, it, well, they're based in home counties, so it's all basically home counties based. Um, there is a kind of change from the kind of alien invasion and the um, mad professor storyline in that they came up with the Silurians, and the Silurians come from underneath the ground. So they're actually earthlings like us, but they mm. were here before us, and they lived under the ground. So, so it's as above, as, yeah. ab as below, yeah, so yeah. to speak. Although they weren't actually Silurians because they got the wrong, um, the wrong geolithic period. And so the story title Doctor Who and Silurians is very wrong because he's not called Doctor Who and they're not called Silurians. Um, okay, so his first season, season seven, is, is kind of, it's, um, it's, it's only made up of four stories and they're all quite long. Uh, one of them's eight episodes long. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's um, science fiction in the kind of mould of something like, um, um, what's the, uh, Department S, something like that from the 60s. Um, you know, it, more about kind of um, the doctor and his companion in the, in the lab looking at elements. Okay. And um, so it's very forensic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's much more forensic. There's there's very little of, of like of the fun of Doctor Who in season seven. It's a brilliant season, but it's completely different from any other. Is that because the acting style has changed, or the writers have changed? I think they were just trying out different things, seeing how it would go. And they didn't have a big budget for that season, so it was, there was a lot of reusing sets. Mm. And um, um, it, was, it was successful, but then in the next season, they decided to, hey, this is Doctor Who. It went very colourful. They, they got rid of the scientist um, companion, Liz Shaw, and replaced her with Joe Grant. And Joe Grant is... Um, well, she was um, kind of dumb... Teenage girl who got a job through nepotism because her yeah. uncle was um, part of the, he's part of the government. Yeah. So she gets a job, she becomes um, the doctor's assistant, but she's kind of always making mistakes. She's like the classic Doctor Who ditzy companion. Amazing. She's kind of like the ultimate ditzy Doctor Who companion. So does that mean that not only a doctor is Doctor Who doing first of going from black and white to colour, mm. doing the um, the sci-fi thing, but he also created the first ditzy assistant on TV as well. Well, yeah, I mean, she's kind of, she's almost kind of, oh, I don't know. Um, she's kind of meta. It's the, the way she comments on the action in The Doctor, she's always slightly outside of the action. Mm. She's always kind of in her own kind of world. She's, she's fantastic, but she's, um, the Doctor loves her. The Doctor will do anything to protect her, but she's the one who gets him into trouble. But when I've seen um, Doctor Who, I always felt that the um, the assistant is like the audience idiot to kind of help Yeah, yeah, the exactly. And that's why viewer, it didn't quite keep up work. Speed. In, in the season before, I was just talking about where Liz Shaw was the scientist. Mm. There was no one really to facilitate kind of explaining it to the viewers at home sure. because she was a scientist as well. So they, her and the doctor didn't really have to have conversations about anything. Sure. Whereas Joe, they brought Joe in because Joe had to go, what, what's that about? Why am I doing that? Why is that? Also in season seven, they bring in 
um, the master for yeah. the first time. And master is another time lord, but an evil version. Mm. And he's on his thirteenth life when he's he comes. He's one of to the Earth. most iconic characters. Yeah, yeah, played yeah. by everyone from John Sim to Eric Roberts. Yeah, yeah, and originally played by Roger Delgado. Mm. Um, also, um, becoming a series regular in the John Pertwee era is the Doctor's best friend, okay. and that's the Brigadier. The Brigadier first turns up in a Patrick Troughton story called Web of Fear. The actor that plays him, Nicholas Courtney, first turned up in a William Hartnell story called um, The Dalek <coughs> Master Plan. But he becomes a regular in the John Pertwee era. So mm. the Doctor, in effect, is working for the military. So in the John Pertwee era. era, we've got the assistant. Yeah. The Brigadier yeah. and, and the Master. Uh, yeah. So we're starting to see the secret yeah, source called, of what it's, makes it's Doctor Who work. the unit family. Okay. Because the, the, um, the, the military organisation he's part of is called UNIT, United Nations Intelligence Task Force. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like X-Files, but military X-Files. Sure. They go around investigating anything that's a bit weird. So you've got, you got the Brigadier, who's the head of them, that's, and that's by play by Nicholas Courtney. And then you've got uh, the campist sergeant you're ever going to see, Mike mm-hmm. Yates. Yeah. And we've got... Um, now, Captain Yates, and then we got uh, Benton, kind of, you know, your average um, uh, army, or what to call it, like soldier, kind of, kind private. of big. Yeah, 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 your typical private, loyal, kind of a little bit thick, but, and that's the unit family. So that's the Doctor, the Brigadier, Captain Yates, uh, Sergeant Benton, Joe Grant, and then the Master, who they're facing off against. And during that whole of season seven, Every story is unit against the master, and so that's for the whole season. The thing is with John Pertwee, uh, I mean, it's in the 60s he's performing Doctor Who as well, isn't it? 70s, sorry. Uh, He's got the bouffant hair, and he's wearing the cape, and he's got the tassels on the end of his collars and stuff like that. I mean, he's quite a, a camp and uh, flamboyant doctor, isn't he? Flamboyant, he's quite, but not flamboyant. Flam- I wouldn't say no, he's not camp, but he is flamboyant. I mean, John Pertwee does have a lisp. Okay. Kind of, it makes it a little bit weirder. Mm. Um, he also, um, the third doctor is kind of, he, he's really into kind of like weird kind of martial arts, like Venusian Aikido okay. and stuff like that. Really comes out with, but he'll, he plays it all totally seriously. Yeah. And, um, oh, also, and you see in the middle, and of course, um, in the, his third season, um, which is the tenth season of Doctor Who. Now the fourth season, which is the tenth season of Doctor Who, they bring back um, William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton. Oh wow! For the three Doctors, although William Hartnell was too ill yeah. to appear actually in the studio, they, they they set up. I think I said this in the first episode that they set up a little um, studio in his shed in his garden so they can film a few scenes of William Hartnell in. So and William Hartnell dies about a year later. So was this the first time they did the callbacks of the previous yeah, Doctor yeah, Who's? Yeah, yeah, Wow, so that must have been like something very special for the regular fans. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's become sort of expected now that any anniversary there will be a multi-Doctor story. Mm. And if not, there are riots normally. And <laughs> people die, people have died. Um, <laughs> Pitchforks and <laughs> candlelights at, at midnight. In um, the, the actual... But, um, what we get now in Doctor Who from now on is we get production teams that are kind of solid. In the 60s, there are, I mean, there are names like Innis Lloyd and Derek Sherwin and uh, Jerry um, Davis, who were kind of, did some, sometimes did production roles, sometimes directing roles, sometimes writing roles, and it was never really that fixed. Mm. But from the um, 1970 onwards, you get um, 
for the whole of... So House Style year. is being produced yeah, yeah. now. So the whole, what you're talking about is a showrunner. Yeah, yeah, but we didn't have a showrunner and we, it was split into two roles. So in John Pertwee's era, it was the producer, who's Barry Letts, who was a Buddhist and communist. How do you think that may have influenced the show? Um, well, there, there, is, there are a number of stories that are influenced by Buddhism, but it's kind of a, it's a weird juxtaposition, obviously, because the Doctor's working with the military and during science. this time. <laughs> so it's kind of a, it's a weird kind of... The whole, like, reincarnation thing, that yeah, fades yeah. into it. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Sure, in, yeah. in fact, um, say you've got um, Barry Letts, and he's the producer, and you've also got Terence Dix, and he's the writer, and Terence Dix probably... I think he wrote more old um, series episodes than any other person. He also wrote a lot of the Target novelizations. Um, Target were a book company, and because they never used to repeat Doctor Who in the 60s and 70s, they would release um, novelizations of each story, which became immensely popular and was a way for fans to kind of find out the stories that they'd missed. So were the novelizations repeats of the, each episode or were they expand in the universe? They were the whole stories re- rewritten as a novel. Amazing. The only two stories that aren't novel and have never been novelised are the two written by um, Douglas Adams. Okay. Because he never got around to it. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a and that's Douglas Adams of Hitchhiker's Guide oh, to yeah, the Galaxy yeah, fame. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so... That's the unit family. So that's basically how it stays. And the John Perry era is very... It, there's a lot of action in it. There's an episode in his last story, Planet of the Spiders, where the whole 25 minutes is just the Doctor being chased in different vehicles yeah. over <laughs> land and sea. Yeah. And, uh, and it, they love their action sequences and, and their little um, uh, Buddhist references in between. Um, it, it's a fun era to watch. They're not perhaps the most... Intelligent fit, yeah. intelligent of Doctor Who. Yeah. Or, but but they're definitely there's a John Pertwee has a massive fan base amongst Doctor Who fans. But well, I take I'd say it one th- thing. Sorry, I'd say one thing about John Pertwee is he really loved Doctor Who. I think John yeah. Pertwee and his successor, who is yeah, yeah. Tom Baker, are the two actors who are the most enthusiastic and did the most afterwards. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Oh, they, they, William Hartnell, when he was the doc, he loved it because kids were coming up to him in the street and. They were talking to him, and, yeah. and he was always known as kind of like an army, army roles in film. So he never had this kind of uh, uh, reaction from children, mm-hmm. and, and that blew him away when he was the Doctor. But yeah, yeah, yeah. John Perry, John Perry used to used to turn up at Fates when he was the Doctor, dressed as the Doctor. But instead of driving Bessie his car, he'd be driving Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> <laughs> but I've actually seen a Doctor Who play in Wimbledon Theatre with John Pertwee. It the was ultimate, 1991. The ultimate. Um, the Ultimate Adventure, Adventure. Yes. written by Terence Dix, I believe. Yes, yeah, by Terence Dix. My mum took me and my mate from school as a half-term treat to see Doctor Who, The Ultimate Adventure, in Wimbledon <laughs> Theatre in 1991 with John Pertwee. And this was like years and years and years after he'd stopped doing Doctor Who on TV, but he was still like getting oh, yeah, out there yeah. in a regional theatre. Well, it's not regional, Do- it's uh, London, but in a theatre, and they went on a whole tour after that. So it was pretty, like... Intense work for a guy in his 60s or 70s as he was then. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, John Pertwee also played Wurzel Gummidge, which yes, is another children's true. TV favourite. And I think it's, a, it's such a big change from, of character to go from like high flying space mm-hmm. scientist to more or less a scarecrow. But yeah. there's no doubt in his enthusiasm and performance in doing um, television acting. So, so Doctor Who stayed like this 
for... Uh, John Pertwee was the Doctor for five seasons, so you got his first kind of weird season, and then you got the Unit family. They they start off in in season seven, no season eight, and then over season eight, season nine, season ten, you really see them develop, and you get to know these people, <laughs> and you get some of the best stories. My favourite ever Doctor Who story is a John Pertwee story called Carnival of Monsters. I've and... actually seen that one. Oh, you have. Okay. Yeah, What's yeah. it about? It's, it's got, well, there, there's a storyline where the Doctor, that they seem to be stuck on a ship which is in a time loop which has a monster attacking them. And then there's another storyline with um, this planet has just started letting immigrants onto the planet and it's the problem that the, um, the kind of the immigration chiefs are kind of arguing about who should be let in and stuff. And this is juxtaposing with the um, Doctor's storyline in this... It's um, George, an incredibly clever story. <laughs> it's been... Yeah. Carnival of Monsters breaks down as like four separate episodes. Yeah, each each story is made up of a number of episodes. So Carnival of Monsters is a story that's four episodes long, whereas, say, the Dalek Invasion of Earth is a one story that's seven episodes long. And how long would an episode of Doctor Who been at that time? 22 and a half minutes. So more or, or less, if you get four 22-minute episodes, you more or less look at getting your own fe- serialised feature film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Each, each Doctor Who story is... Um, almost every Doctor Who story is like a little feature film. You can make that. Um, yeah, Carnival of Monsters is fantastic. Written by Robert Holmes. He's probably... He's probably wrote Doctor Who better than anyone has ever written about. But I have to... Robert Holmes, I'll be talking about in Tom Baker era when he becomes a script editor. Whereas now, obviously, Terence Dix is still the editor. Um, then at the end of um, season... At the end of season 10, Joe Grant leaves. It's a very sad scene. Um, she gets married to a guy who looks a lot like the Eighth Doctor. So I've Who's got a Joe Grammer? Joe Grant is... Um, or Joe Grant, sorry. Joe Grant. Um, and so she leaves at the end of season 10. And at the same time as this, Roger Delgado, who plays the master, is um, shooting a film in Malta... And um, he's involved in a car crash. Um, he dies and his body is stolen and he's never heard of again. Say that uh, again? <laughs> what? Um, this is real life. <laughs> Roger Delgado is playing the master. Um, he, was filming, he was filming in Malta. He his, his car crashed and his body was stolen. Wow. And he was never heard of again. And his so body his was bo- stolen due to his fame as the master. Like I don't know. Took I, a, like yeah, MacArthur souvenir, I basically. Think, I, think, I think they wanted to, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did it find it? No, no, he's never his body's A Doctor never been Who found. fan in Malta seemed to have found him first, Akosh. <laughs> yeah. of Jimmy Hoffa things. So and yeah. so because because of Joe leaving and because of Roger Delgado's death, John Pertwee was kinda of like, Okay, I've kind of had enough now, I want to give it in. So in John Pertwee's last season he he get he, he gets a new companion, which is Sarah Jane. We'll yeah. be talking about a lot in the next episode. So okay. Jane may be the ultimate companion. She's yeah. definitely the most popular, the only yeah. one to get her own spin-off. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this uh, is like you know, in the new the K-9's new got Doctor two Hillary spin-offs. Off. Yeah, because oh, yeah. this is where the is that where the Sarah Jane Sarah Jane Chronicles comes from? Sarah yeah. Jane Adventures, yeah. Oh, it's the Sarah Jane Adventures. Yeah, yeah. Who's the writer of that? That is um uh, Oh um that was, was Chris Chibnall. Didn't he write the Sarah Jane Adventures? Might be why he's now the showrunner. I was going to set you up for that, but now I'm doubting myself. Yeah, I think he did, yeah. Well, we, Akosh, who wrote the Sarah Jane Adventures? 
Have I you? don't have any idea. Uh, we, we finally stumped um, Akash. Anyway, um, so, so the, uh, uh, season 12 is uh, John Pertwee's last season as a doctor. It all finishes with... Um, Russell T. Davis wrote the Sarah Jane Adventure. Who was the showrunner for, you know, when it came back. Yeah. Cool. Oh, there's an earlier okay. one to that. Oh, right, okay. Um, so, at the end of season 11, the doctor... Um, there's an epic story, it's called Planet of the Spiders, where the Doctor is going against um, spiders. It, there's a strong Buddhist storyline in this. In fact, it, it centres around a uh, Buddhist retreat in the English countryside who are summoning spiders from a different planet. But apparently the original storyline that they wanted to do in Planet of the Spiders was that the Doctor and the Master would battle, and at the end of it, the, ma- the Doctor and the master would become one person and then become the next doctor. Wow. But obviously, because Roger Delgado died, they couldn't do that storyline. Yeah. So the master survived as his own independent character now. Does that, if he, does that mean the conspiracy theory could be that the person who kidnapped Roger Delgado probably didn't want that outcome in Doctor Who? Could be. <laughs> that could of course, be it. The, uh, the master is now a woman called Missy in conjunction with the female doctor. Wow. Yes, yes. Although she was... Killed. That's pretty cool, actually. I or, like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's a spoiler. <laughs> okay, so that's um, that's my brief guide to the John Pertwee era. Um, yeah, all of his adventures are available. Um, he's the first Doctor Who has no um episodes missing. Everything's there. You can watch him from the beginning to the end. You'll notice that he likes when he um. When he faints or gets hit or is lying on the ground, he likes to keep one leg up in the air. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's John Pertwee. Um, not my favourite Doctor, I have to say. Really? Because, yeah, he's just he's very straight. It's a, it's a very straight performance. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's good. I, I don't hate any Doctor, but Pertwee's Doctor is the less Doctor... Ish of the doctors. Do you think that as a result of being a comedian, he yeah, overcompensated? Yeah. He, but he did say because he seems he quite effeminate and loose when you see him in the pictures uh, okay. as Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. But there you go. Watch, watch the programs. You'll, you'll get it. He's like, um, he's like an. I was going to say old guy. He's like in his fifties. That's not old, but um, he's got like this action man quality. He's like an yeah. older James Bond almost. Okay. Yeah, and uh, he likes his frilly shirts as well. He's very seventies. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned uh, Robert Holmes as well as part of I'm this going to project. Talk about Robert Holmes in, in the next in the Tom Baker part. But the thing that he does share with um, uh, John Pertwee is the history of uh, being in the army, and but he was specifically fighting with the Queen's own Cameron Highlanders in Burma. Apparently. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people who worked on Doctor at that time used to be in the army because obviously it was um, the early seventies, and it wasn't that far away after the Second World War, so. So what will, be, will you be talking about in the next episode? Next episode is the kind of the governor for the one who rules, um, Tom Baker, the fourth doctor. And um, yeah, I mean, you should really, I, I need about four episodes for Tom Baker. In fact, <laughs> you can even two episodes just on Tom Baker. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be good. But no, I'm going to try and cram all, in, all of him into one episode and yeah. Well, thank you for coming on, Stephen. We no really problem. appreciate that. And thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to say thanks to our co-presenter, King Dom. Goodbye. Our co-host, Akosh. 
And our new controller, the Neo Geo. Hear you later. I have been your host, Trevor, and you were listening to Geek Sweat. These are our end credits, so we invite you to subscribe as well. Geek Sweat is available on Castbox FM, iTunes, and Stitcher. Download any of these apps to listen to us again. If you want to support the podcast by generating an interview question, being a guest, or simply becoming a sponsor, please email film at instigateonline.com. We will have more in store. Feel free to rate and review us inside your podcast platform. If you don't have time to do so, tell a friend today and we will be just as grateful. You can also find us online via Twitter, Instagram and Facebook under the hashtag GeekSweat. That's G-E-E-K-S-W-E-A-T. Podcast thrives on listeners, so thank you for sharing your ears. To show you we care, we, we watch, watch films to save you hassle. hassle.